Blog Talk Radio. Yes. So that gives you two weeks to kind of get your stuff together. And we're going to put a timer on it. I'm not 
I'm not down for people droning on and on and on. And we're not going to play you off with music like on the Oscars. It's going to be, I'm going to have the clock on and I'm just going <laughs> to give you a 10 second warning. And then I'm like, get the and fucking end your shit. So <laughs> we're not going to let you go off like Trump, like Trump at the CPAC when he talked for fucking two hours about nonsense. So it's two minutes. So get in, get out. Most of the guys listening to this, I would imagine, are very used to two minutes and not being able to go any further anyway. So, Larry, what would you like to talk about before we bring on our guest? Yeah, thank you. Well, I was going to – I wanted to ask you about – pick your brain about something. You know, when I went to both Southern Honor and Southern Fried this weekend, both were very good shows. Had a good time at both of them. Um, But at the – Southern Fried Show, they changed the yeah. title and took it off Billy Buck and switched it back to Corey Hollis. Already? And wow. Yeah, so that, and that, it, it rubbed me the wrong way, um, and it didn't seem to go over very well with the crowd either. Um, but I just wondered about your thoughts on that. He held it for six weeks, and I know you know a lot of Southern Fried has had relatively short title reigns. Southern Honor, just to, just to mention, they've had two champions in in only six shows. And I know you, when when PCW started, uh, Shane Marks held the belt for a good long while. So I just wanted to just get your your months. thoughts on the, mm-hmm. the, the you know the the value of the of your main title and how you book that title and so forth. Um, first, you're going to hear me say something that you may never hear again, Larry. Oh. God, that hurt me to say. In that, when he declared that championship belts, titles, are just props. Now, he being of limited intellect, didn't really fully grasp what he was saying. But I did. Now, he meant, you know, these, these guys put all this value in the shit, and it's just a prop. And in a sense, that's true. But like any prop in anything, it can be given an infinite amount of value. If you flip your title often, you are inevitably devaluing it. That may serve your purposes. I mean, I, I'm, I'm not down to tell people you have to do it a certain way. I get why people might change the titles for a dramatic effect or whatever. I'm just saying, does the Southern... Does the Southern Fried title mean as much if you take it off of Billy Buck? Apparently, their crowd wasn't buying it, right? Apparently, their crowd didn't want it. And if you do a title change that does not register a strong emotional impact, either positive or negative in the good sense, then you didn't do it right. They should be prepared or at least open for the title change. And if not, you haven't fully done your job as a storyteller or a booker. That's just my opinion. My goal, I knew Shane Marks would not be the sort of gangbusters, we love this guy, guy. But my goal was he's going to hold it for at least a year, and I'm gonna, he's going to defend it against everybody and anybody. When you think of the litany of guys that Shane Marks, because the whole goal was to add value to this title because we were creating it out of whole cloth. And part of that was I bought that, t- that title, the custom-made job. It says Platinum Championship Wrestling. A guy named Reggie Parks made that belt, same guy who made a couple of the UFC titles and the WWE oh, yeah. tag team titles back in the day and whatever. And so – 
I just wanted to laud as much honor onto that title as I could. Now, other places have decided to do that in different ways. I think AWE putting their title on, like Martin Stone, for example, that was their way of putting value on their title. And they let Jimmy Rave have a big, huge, long run with their title to start with. Now, do you have to do it that way? No. But again, inevitably, the more you change the title, the less it means. If, If the President of the United States, Larry, changed every year, would it be as big a deal to be president? Inevitably, no. And I think that's that says it all right there. What do you, what's your feeling on it as a you know like an old school wrestling fan? Well, you know, as an old from an old standpoint, um, titles mean so much less than they did back in the day anyway, because because of the way they're booked and the and um, you know there being too many titles. For, within mm-hmm. a one promotion, that, that kind of stuff. That said, you know, a lot of Southern Fried in particular, to me, is is modeled on Memphis. And Memphis did a lot of title changes, and the title really oh, yeah. wasn't very important because it was like everybody knew Lawler, whether he held the belt or didn't hold the belt, he was really like the champion. And they moved that thing around, and it didn't really matter that much. And I kind of think, in a lot of ways, that's true of Southern Fried. So with Southern Fried, I don't think it's that the length of the title reign is the thing is that this particular one had more to go, and I think the fans felt like it had more to go, and it's it's over. Yes, if you don't give them a chance, I mean, it's like when Sting finally beat you know NWO Evil Hogan. It wasn't just that when he won that title at Starcade, it was sort of spurious in how it was done, and Nick Patrick just did a regular count, and you know they wasted Bret Hart and all that stuff. I think what really gets forgotten is, you know, and and Sting has suffered from this more than once when he held world titles. And I think it's why Sting is always regarded, if people are being honest, as a B-plus, A-minus legend, not an A or A-plus legend. Because nobody can tell me anything they remember from any of Sting's championship runs, right? Like the most famous... The most famous part of Sting's championship runs has been the black frickin' scorpion. <laughs> so, like, that, I mean, that says it all, right? What's Ricky Steamboat's world title reign remembered as? Defending against Ric Flair until he lost it. Yeah. You know, and you, you have to, if what you want, I'm a firm believer in a title switch dictates a change in the era of the promotion itself. And frankly, I think promotions have become bigger than the type. I mean, ECW had a lot to do with this. It's not about the stars. It's not about the guys. It's really about the promotion and the guys are just sort of working parts within the machine. That's fine. But it just, I have more faith in the wrestlers that, you know, let's see what this era is about. And I, I did some pretty crazy things with who was champion, but I gave them all their own flavor. There's, you know, the supernatural era was not the Shane Marks era. Very Definitely different. Not. And I gave them, and I gave everybody a pretty decent run with the title. You know, that was just, that was by design. And, um, 
you know, even grotesque rain, I wanted it to be the antithesis of the Shane Marks rain. So Shane Marks was marked with, I mean, he took on Davey Richards. He took on, you know, Adam Pierce when Adam Pierce was NWA world champion. It was like all these prestigious, like, wrestling matches. And then the grotesque era was marred by he's disgracing the title. Like, like it's like he always gets disqualified. <laughs> he has no interest in pinning anybody. It's just about, like, holding on to that thing. So people were dying for someone to take it off of him. That was a very deliberate set-apart story. I'm sorry Billy Buck didn't get more of a reign because that guy is definitely, you know, he's great. I mean, he was up for wrestler of the year and rightfully so last year. What you're saying about title reigns being different, I, I was just thinking too about uh, contrast and compare. You look at Logan hmm. Creed, who is now the longest reigning champion, uh, heavyweight champion ever in Cornelia. And yeah. yet, yet his title, while he's been a real, he's, he's been a key, clearly a very key element in Cornelia, he hasn't had that real great championship feud. It hasn't been like a flare steamboat feud to make his mm-hmm. actual title reign itself that memorable. So, I mean, that's the one thing that, that's been lacking despite the length is that kind of a real dramatic, intense feud. Um Maybe he'll still get that. He's still got the belt. Hopefully we see that. Larry, Um, I'm going to put you directly on the spot right now. What's the best feud going in Georgia wrestling anywhere? Oh, God. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, probably, uh, like, off the top of my head, I'm going to say – Joseph Brock Enterprises and whoever's going against them. Mm-hmm. It's got it's got it's got it's got a lot of heat. It's got a lot of heat. And I think yeah. in recent memory, it's anything Brad Cash was involved in. Right? Those are those are fused that just span forever. And the him and Jacob Ashworth thing I thought was very effective. And um guys don't it's kinda like it's it's strange where modern wrestling should be sort of revolutionary in so many ways. And instead guys get sort of bogged down into we'll build this guy up for the title shot. And then he either wins it or he doesn't. And then he's done. And then the next guy comes along. It's, it's, you're almost afraid to see I think it's a response to the WWE because the WWE, one of the things they get accused of is my God, how many times can we see match X? You know, (laughs) how many times can we see these two guys wrestle each other? Because they have to put so much television out there. And um, I think consciously or subconsciously, people are afraid of a feud that involves a title over a long extended period of time. And they get impatient and they want people to drop the titles as a way of continuing to spark interest in an angle. Uh, I remember when I did, because, you know, when we did the Empire split, my goal was Shane Marks holds the Empire title, and Mason continues to hold the PCW title, and they hold it for a year. Both of them hold those titles forever. And then when we finally merge those titles, it'll be the biggest deal. And, Larry, you don't know how many of the boys, the boys themselves were like, 
No, I think it's better if one of them loses the title. Like, <laughs> the end goal is we have the biggest match in PCW history at Sacred Ground 3, but yet the boys just couldn't bear the – they didn't have the patience to go, like, let them hold the title. You know, like, they just couldn't – like, modern sensibilities were, like, we have to flip this title. Here's, here's an interesting question. Um, you know, obviously during like the John Cena, Randy Orton, you know, edge, where it seemed like they were changing the title every other week, right? Do you know when that got started, that notion of the title, the WWF slash E title changes hands all the time? Because there used to be a time where, you know, Bruno held it forever. Paige oh, held yeah. it forever. You yeah, know, like superstar yeah. Billy Graham as a heel held it for 14 months, you know. Um, if, you got a, if you got a short title reign back then, it was a big deal. There was something wrong mm-hmm. almost, you know. They, they were, yeah, that's not the way it worked. You were the, the, no, you I don't, were, the answer, I don't I mean, know the answer. There's only question. two kinds of champions, real champions and transitional champions. That's it, mm-hmm. right? You were either Stan the Man Stasiak or you were Bob Backlund, right? Yeah. And – um. But it was the era in which they had to accommodate more pay-per-views, right? So the era of where it's like Bret Hart and – like when all those guys in the early 90s, they were flipping the title at every major pay-per-view. Like the typical reign was three months long. So, you know, Ric Flair wins it at the Royal Rumble. He loses it at the next pay-per-view. And at the pay-per-view after that, you know – And then we're going into WrestleMania. Like, that really started it, which was a desperate ploy to, like, keep interest and to build a bunch of stars. And uh, I don't know if they've ever really recovered from that. I mean, how many title reigns? does John Cena have yeah, how many ridiculous. title reigns it's meaningless even even the or you know when you look at the combined title reigns of Stone Cold he had the title in excess of six or seven times but the time at which he had the title is very very small indeed yeah. you know yeah interesting yeah and another for another day I want to talk about secondary titles because I know you didn't you didn't have secondary titles, even a tag title you didn't have for, for the, you know, you only had the tag team season. But speaking of titles and speaking of Brad Cash. Yes, please. We have the uh, former Peach State Wrestling Alliance Heritage Champion and the current and reigning Kapow Champion, the Suicide King himself, is joining the tipping point right now. Welcome to the show, Brad Cash. Hey, guys. How you doing? Good, man. Good, good. Brad, I'm going to ask you a, a tough fucking question right from the jump. Because we, you know, we got a lot of interesting topics, and you're not afraid to speak out about any of this stuff, which I fucking love. So right. is this your last year of wrestling? And if so, fucking why? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, damn. Let's start off with, like, the heaviest fucking question. Um <laughs> <laughs> um I never want I I never want to ever say anything's absolute. Um right because like you know things can change anything can change at any time. In my as I stand right now, yes, it is my last year of wrestling. Um and it's 
and it's it's not one of those things where it's just like like oh man I'm just not getting what I want out of it or anything like that it's just uh man there's just a number of reasons um like uh like I said it's a loaded loaded question uh first of all obviously I've done a lot of crazy shit and uh, have never given myself time to heal um, yeah uh that's uh that's that's number one um and I mean and that was even before I was doing death matches uh you know back when I first started um I wasn't in as good a shape as the other guys and you had guys that were either bigger or better looking or you know just extremely gifted you know you had uh your Gunner Millers of the world who were yeah the fucking best from the get-go uh so I always had to try and compete with them by giving everybody some type of moment that they wouldn't forget uh Mm -hmm. and um I mean you know, and it got me noticed, and it got me to a lot of places I wanted to go, but at the end of the day, I knew the risk that it could, in fact, shorten my career. And, uh, yeah. and it, it it has in ways. I'm, you know, I got other projects and stuff I'm working on outside of wrestling, and if I want to be able to do those, you know, maybe maybe it's time to step away. Wow. Uh, you know, Brad, part of tonight, when when Larry and I were kind of hashing it out, what are we going to do on this show? Because we, we always want to have something like important um, and have the right people on speaking. So since we have you on, I, I noticed on the – by the way, congratulations on your match with Logan Creed. It sounded absolutely incredible. Um, Thank you. You know, to, to, have, to have Larry sort of openly praise it as, you know, as good as any of the sort of bloodbaths that they've had in that building. Um, you know what that means, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, you've had, a, you've had a few of them in that building yourself, Masada and others. And, but Larry mentioned something in that report, which is we, 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 never, we may never see a match of this kind again. And that sort of got my mind working with that and what William Huckabee had to deal with. And this is not a fair question to you again, but I'm going to ask it. (laughs) And the question is this, with, with the world changing the way it is with the nature of wrestling from the WWE on down changing is hardcore wrestling. And however you want to define it, it's fine. But I think we all know generally what we're talking about. It's like, Pornography. I I can't I can't give you a perfect description. I just know it when I see it, right? Like I feel that way right. about hardcore wrestling. Like you know I, I you know but do you have to have attack? Like I don't know. I just know I know it when I see it. Is hardcore right. wrestling as an entity, at least in Georgia wrestling, in the major promotions, done? Do you think, or um, do you think there's still a place for it in wrestling in general, and specifically in Georgia wrestling? Um, I think there's there's always going to be a place for it. Um, Georgia, yeah. what I love about Georgia, um, and uh, and I've told, uh, you know, I've told various promoters I've worked for, including, you know, Bill Barons, Rick Michaels, you know, Dan the Dragon Wilson, and all them. I can I can go to you know, New Jersey, uh, 
the Mid-South region, like where IWA is and all that. Absolutely. Literally go up and have a hardcore match every every time I'm there. Uh, because up there, it's just different. It's more of a uh, – hardcore is more of a sport up there. Uh, I got you. Yes. But what I, what I love about, like, Georgia, especially the booking that I was involved around this past year, is every time I bled, it meant something. And yeah. every every hardcore match. I mean, even that match with Logan that had um, – you know, had one show worth of buildup before it, it meant something. And I mean, you know, hardcore can be anything from a death match to, you know, to just no rules, chair shots, whatever. But I think it's more of a mindset. Mm. And I think as long as that mindset is there, plus with the storytelling, it's, um, I don't, I don't think it'll ever be gone. I, you may not just see as many, hardcore matches or the quality of hardcore matches but I mean Logan got in there with me you know having only done one other you know death match if you will which was also with me up in Jersey and to me just being in the ring with him you would have thought he did them every day yeah 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 Um, so as long as that fire's there then I feel like you know I I feel like it's never it's never going to die you know, so guys like Tank and Iceberg that really uh, set that as a standard uh, in Georgia. I'm just glad I was able to help uphold that standard for a little while. I, I think, you know, it's interesting you bring up Logan. I'm, I promise I'll let you get a question in here, Larry. But it's like, okay. <laughs> I remember when I was when I was at the quote unquote last anarchy show, right? The big yeah. blow off and all that kind of stuff. And uh, Jeff G. Bailey, who is no uh, stranger to getting color, right, um, right. was, was it, his old school mentality was it's war games. Somebody has to do some crazy fucking spot and somebody better get fucking color and it better be great. And Logan <laughs> Creed, by surprise, really, was the guy who got the best color and was part of like one of the crazier spots. And I remember Jeff sort of turned and went like, yeah, Logan Creed, like that. I, I, I've always thought of that guy as just sort of like, you know, the big guy on your card that didn't really matter. But Jeff called it then. He's like, yeah, that guy's going to be a star. He's just got the right mindset. Right. Yeah. I think like, yeah. like you're saying, hardcore wrestling's a mindset and Logan Creed clearly in spite of a lack of experience maybe in doing the matches, just has that sort of old school mindset of it's got to be great. If I'm going to do a hardcore match, it's going to be, it's sort of like when I watched Ric Flair wrestle, you know, like in EC, in the horrible version of ECW that was in the WWF. But when, when Flair took the Flair flop onto the tax, I just went, and that's why Ric Flair is the best. Like, he, you know, hardcore wrestling could not be less his thing, but screw it. If I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. And it's the, and it's, right. it's just one of those things that makes Flair a legend, right? Whatever, you, whatever you're going to put in front of me, I'm not going to embarrass myself. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be great right. at it, you know. Um, here's, here's, a, here's a hard question, Brad, and then I'm going to let Larry ask his. I swear to God. So, because we're talking about what, what are the boundaries in pro wrestling? Right. Now, 
when you got someone like Priscilla Kelly, like running around doing a tampon spot, throwing up on people as part of a spot, and she's getting right. a lot of attention, positive but mostly negative, right? Right. Do, do, are there things that you, as somebody who has done everything, you know, the Masada skewers in the head, you know, just all the creative ways to mutilate yourself and others, you've done it. Right. Are there things that you go that is beyond the boundaries of what should be in a pro wrestling match, or maybe not even that restrictive, but just stuff that you just go, that doesn't, that doesn't do anything for me. I don't, I don't, I would never do that in a match. Or do, do you right. look at the Priscilla Kelly stuff and just go like, you know, good for her. Like what's your, what's um, your attitude about that? Um, so like, I mean, I, I've met Priscilla Kelly a couple of times, um, you know, but like I'd maybe seen her wrestle once or twice, but then of course I saw the tampon spot right. and, and every, you know, and a lot of people were like, Oh my God, you know, that's, that's fucking horrible. And I'm like, well, if you actually watch the video and see the crowd's reaction to it, like the people that actually bought tickets, not somebody 500 miles away that could have gave a shit less about the show. I mean, right. Like that's what matters. So, I mean, you know, I did a spot at, platinum where i put a fucking tide pod in my mouth and spit it at logan then i did it at anarchy i mean it's you know it's whatever yeah. but i i think um i think as long as it's for the right crowd uh it's almost limitless on mm. what you can do um i do have <laughs> i do have stuff that i don't agree with um you know obviously anything that you know could permanently like there's a 100% chance that this is going to fuck your body up permanently. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I know that's weird me saying that, but there is always at least a chance that something's not going to hurt me in my matches or at least not damage, you know, not break bones or affect my way of living. Um, but uh, like I'm, I was on one show where the promoter was wanting to use a shotgun filled with rock salt uh, mm. And one and wanted me to use it, and I told him he was fucking retarded. Wow! Wow! I'm also I've been I've been shot that. with rock salt. Actually, that's one of my favorite I childhood stories. <laughs> and let me tell you, man, let's get the hardcore started. Because I wouldn't fucking do it. <laughs> but uh, it was that, and then like. Like I know, like uh, okay, I was I was in a match where um, uh, where there was a hot cold spot one night, and uh, I I didn't I didn't take it, but uh, Masada power bombed one of my opponents onto it, and I mean the guy got like yeah. third degree burns on his back and had to have surgery, and you know I did it like the crowd popped and the guy agreed to do it, but at the same time from where the crowd was sitting. They would not have known if those coals were hot or not. You know, right. you, you get what I'm saying? Like there was, yeah, there was a way to work that. And even Masada told him he was stupid. And I love the guy to death. I mean, I've had plenty of matches with the guy and everything. Uh, but I just I didn't agree with the spot. I, I guess you know it's like Cornette says, like at 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 the point at which you are the mark for doing the spot. You right. know, like I guess that's. That's probably a pretty decent definition of a boundary, 
Um, Larry, right. Larry, do you have a question? I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, uh, Brad, I wanted to ask you about specifically about blood and the role of blood and mm. the um, you know we've recently had Adam Bueller come come out and say he, he's HIV positive, although he did not, does not believe it happened in the ring. However, he said he was never ever tested blood right. tested at any any time during when he's wrestling. What do you think about that aspect of it and the lack of regulation of wrestling regarding blood testing in states like Georgia? Um, so I I hate the whole licensing commission. Uh, of different states where you have to have a license, blah, 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 because people can get one very easily. But I do agree that people should be blood tested, and not just, not just, uh, not just deathmatch wrestlers, but everybody. You know, there's, you know, I've heard of guys getting staff from just being in the ring. You know, guys get hard weighed. Um, You know, I can't tell you how many times my mouth's been busted open. Uh, and stuff like that, uh, you know, and then, I mean, not to be extremely vulgar, but, you know, girls do have periods and stuff. You never know. You know what I mean? I mean, like, there's bodily fluids moving around us all the time, and at any time it can get on, we it can get it on each other. Um, so I do agree. And it's not just what, AIDS. Like, I, I should point that out, like, the, the, right, that yeah. one wrestler – AIDS is a very big attention getter, though I don't think AIDS has the emotional impact anymore. I saw a thing today where, like, they claim the second person has been cured of AIDS, and so Trump was like, it's great. And so I I think that's further going to mitigate, like, oh, yeah, AIDS is not really a a part of my life. But, I mean, hepatitis, you know, whether Abdullah has it or not and all that stuff. I mean, there's a million things out there you can catch, right? So, right. And, you know, and I can't I can't always control what my opponents do. I mean, anybody can lie and say, like, oh, yeah, I've been tested. I'm clean. Um, so, you know, it's a risk that that I've taken, you know, but uh, but I I've been getting tested uh, for at least a few years now. Um, wow. You know, um, one, awesome. you know, I, uh, you know, just going to the doctor, you know, to. You know, whether it was for a physical or whatever, I always made sure my blood got tested. Uh, and then, you know, like doing extra spots and stuff like that, like they require you to get tested. So I was like, well, they require it every six months. So I might as well just go ahead and do it. That way I don't have to rush and do it when they're like, hey, we need you to come do this. Or, hey, we need you to come do a tryout or blah, 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 yeah. blah. I already have it. So, um, <clears throat> But uh, I do so, think it is so- – yeah, no, sure. I was just going to say, plus you, unlike a lot of other wrestlers, probably actually get laid. So you have other <laughs> things that you have to worry about. <laughs> um, I, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not going to, uh, to say yes or no, but I will say that my old pair of tights did have a rat and a magnet on it. So, um, there was, there was a, <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez. Uh, if my, uh, if my girlfriend is listening, I thought she knows, but, uh, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, so yeah, there, there, there was that too. There was that. Uh, let, let me move yeah. on to another question. Um, I, 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 I'm curious about, always curious about the mindset 
of someone like yourself who's going to go into a match like the one you and Logan Creed did at Anarchy a few weeks ago, how do you mentally prepare for a match of that type? Um, there's different ways I've prepared for them in the past. Uh, it used to be I used to just try and keep myself amped up all day because uh, I, cause I used to play like – football, basketball. So I used to go into it with that sportsman's mindset. Um, but over the past couple years, uh, it's been more like I've just tried to be really mellow before the match. Uh, and that's because, like, what I try to do is I get really mellow, and then right before the match, I will literally just, while I'm standing at the curtain, let everything, whether it's something I'm proud of, whether it's a problem I got going on, you know, just everything, every every emotion that hits close to home, I let it all fester right then, and then uh, and then I just use it, and um, you know, I use it to to go out and tell a story, and uh, um, you know, and then by the end of it, because. Because I realized for those matches, you have to get yourself at such a high level of emotion to really pull it off that, I mean, you just, that's the way I have to do it. And uh, uh, that's why, like, after after almost every death match the past couple of years, I'm just drained <laughs> when it's done. But, um, I mean, I don't know. I know you were there, Larry, at a, at the match with Logan. When I came out, I kind of just, like, stopped in the entranceway for a minute. and. Uh, that was actually me just letting everything kind of register for a minute, letting me get the, you know, the, the full grasp of, you know, this is, this is my last night here. You know, this is this reaction I'm getting right now. Let me just soak this in compared to yeah. the first time I walked through this curtain. I remember seeing you backstage that night after the match and, you know, people were asking you, of course, are you okay? And you were saying what? you were you be you. It was almost to me. It's like it looked almost like you were in a trance. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's um. It's like I said. It just when you get to this really high level of emotion, um, you have to really slowly come down off of it. So like you have to almost uh, be zombie like almost for just a little bit, just to let yourself regulate and collect your thoughts. Uh, because I mean, it can. I mean, it's like anything. For every high, there's a really low. There's a really low crash. So, you know, if you're not careful, like you can crash pretty hard. And uh, hmm. so you just got to gradually let yourself down. Okay. Well, Brad, one more question. A, I a, wanted... Yeah, please go ahead, Larry. I'm sorry. Yeah, well, one of the, one more. Just you know, if this is your, um, if you are wind up going out uh, in a few months, and that's you know hanging hanging up your career. Any um, regrets you come to mind, or any appreciations you want to express? If this if this is the end of your career coming up here, oh man, there's a ton of appreciations. Uh, regrets wise, um, I there, there's a few regrets, and it's just like the typical stuff. Like you know, I wish I would have started traveling sooner. Um, but I, you know, but I also feel like I traveled for my personal career and for me to uh, get the notoriety I did. Everything was 
you know, in its own time. Um, yeah. There were there were times that I fed too much into people's bullshit. Um, whether it was whether it was negative or it was hype, actually. Uh, and I wish I would have just stayed more, you know, to my I know what I need to do and and I'm gonna go do it. Um, but you know that's really that's really the only regret. Um, you know, just uh, stuff like that. But appreciations, there are so many. Uh, you know, Tank Masada. Um, you know, Chase Stevens, uh, you know, the guys that didn't really make it big, but were the key factors in me coming up when I was younger, like, uh, Jason Max who trained me and a few other local guys in Tennessee. Uh, Jason Max actually took me in at one point in time cause I, I had nowhere to go. Um, and I lived with him, uh, on and off for a couple years. Um, you know, uh, definitely one of the biggest appreciations to actually teach me not just, you know, not just how to wrestle on TV and how to do this and do this, but actually how to be a star, like, how, and how to act, like, uh, and stuff like that. Because, you know, I don't really cuss a lot on my social media, which is kind of funny because anybody that ever talks to me knows I say fuck, like, every fifth fucking word. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh really Rick Michaels, Bill Barons, uh, Dan, Todd, um, you know, they all really were like, you know, look, we, we see the potential, we wanna make you a star, but you gotta let us make you a star. You know, you, you gotta let us let you shine, kinda. And uh, mm-hmm. and uh and they, they helped me out so much. Uh you know, and then guys that gave me a Give me a chance at other places. Uh, Matt Tremont, Madman Pondo, Ian Rotten. Um, you know, just there's so so many people that help me out. Uh, even you, Larry, <laughs> with your write-ups making me sound way cooler than I really am. <laughs> nice. Why Chase Stevens? Uh, Chase Stevens was around was around me when I was like a couple years in and finally branching away from like the people that trained me. And, uh, and I was lost. I was, I was a very small fish in an ocean that was full of a lot of hungry sharks. And, uh, I wrestled chase one night and, um, we had a, it wasn't really a botch. The finish was, he was going to DDT me on a chair, but, the chair that they gave us was broken and neither one of us realized yeah. it. And, uh, the, uh, and I'd never done anything hardcore at this point. Um, and the, um, the lip of the chair went inside my head. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> I, I still had the, I still had the scar from it. And the story we were telling was just a big underdog story. So I was kicking out of everything. Like it was like Chase would, do this to me and kick out. And uh, so he DDTs me on that, and now I have a giant gash on my head, but my adrenaline's going so hard that I have no idea that there's a hole in my head. And I stood up, you know, to no-sell that because I had no-sold every other fucking thing. And Chase freaked out. And, uh, you know, he was like, no, 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 you, you can stay down now. You're, you're good. You're good. We, we got it over. 
And, uh, you know, and then after that, like, I don't know if Chase felt bad for me because it happened or if he just saw something or what, but uh, it was literally the next week he just started working with me and started, you know, teaching me road life and business life and uh, kind of started looking out for me like I was a little brother. And uh, he did that for years. He still does. It. He still does that from time to time. Nice, Larry. Uh, is is Huck on the line? Huck is on the line. Let's uh, let's let's bring him on because I want I want to throw some throw some tough stuff at both of them, especially Huck. Okay. So can you please yeah. introduce him? Well, he's the incredible Huck. What can you say? He's just, right now. He's the, he's a now a Georgia resident, and a star of combat wrestling and hopefully other promotions in the Georgia area. Welcome to the show, William Huckabee. Hey guys, how y'all doing, man? <laughs> What's up, Bala? I, I I just didn't want you to like get short shift. Um, you know, let's just jump right into it. I think a lot of people have a lot of misconceptions, or they're already turning your story with that fan into like their own agenda. So as succinctly as you want to be, tell us what happened and tell us who you feel did you wrong. Cause I, I do feel like a lot of people are just sort of running with this shit and I don't think that's okay. Cause I think the, the, the real story, your story is much more interesting and compelling and telling. So please tell us what happened for those that uh, don't know. Uh, well, basically, uh, um, you know, I got the booking for Southeastern pro wrestling. Uh, they wanted to bring me in uh, to really work with a lot of the talent, uh, to be a part of, uh, I guess, their main hill stable. Um, because they were doing kind of uh, – it kind of reminded me, uh, Stephen, of your PCW Empire storyline where you have, you know, this rival faction coming in and they fight for ownership of the company. Uh, and then I was like the secret weapon. Uh, but basically what happened, we had a, a, a 10-man uh, tag match and stuff um, where whoever got the actual winning pin got a title match in the future. Uh, I ended up winning that match. But during the match, there was a spot where we did the whole waterfall spot, and then we go into the dive. Um, and so I do a dive, and I'm selling, and there's this older gentleman, and they hover around with his girlfriend. And they've been making, you know, really inflammatory remarks all night. Uh, the promoter had actually um, – made a statement at the beginning of the show saying, hey, no inflammatory remarks, no racist remarks, no profanity, or you'll be asked to leave, you'll probably be banned, just don't do it. Uh, but this couple had been talking junk all night, talking junk, and at first it was no problem. Uh, but while I was out there on the floor after doing the dive, you know, the guy was like, hey, black guy, turn around, we want to get a picture of you. And, of course, I'm a heel, so I'm not going to do what the fans want. Uh, he's like, hey, you with the red tights, I know you hear us talking to you. And I'm still just not, you know, I'm, I'm kayfaving them and stuff, and I'm not giving them what they want. And then finally this guy's like, I'm starting to get up because I have a spot coming up. Um, and so I'm, I'm on my knees, and next time he's like, yeah, that's right. Deal, deal your knees where, you, where, where, where people like you belong. And you know, he called me mm. a boy. And for anybody mm. that knows me, for anybody that knows me, uh, a lot. Of, I'll let a lot of things slide. I, I, you know, depending on who you are, depending on the situation, I'll let the in bomb slide. But the word "boy" is really my trigger word because 
to me, if you drop the N-bomb, now you're disrespecting my race. But if you call me a boy, now you're disrespecting me as a man. And that's something that uh, my stepfather always taught me when I was a kid, was never let nobody disrespect you as a man. So when he was like, yeah, that's right, boy, give your knees where you belong. So I very, if you can tell from the picture, uh, I very discreetly gave them the finger. Um, and <laughs> yes, indeed. And then I got into the ring and finished the match. And then, of course, we win the match with the heel. Uh, me and the promoter are going through this this promo and stuff. And we're like, hey, you know, we're going to take over. And I cut this. I, in my opinion, I, I cut a very good heel promo where, you know, we're in Alabama. And I was like, hey, I'm going to take your Alabama heavyweight championship back to North Carolina because, you know, that's where real wrestlers are from. And I'm a real man. And there's nothing that, you know, you red, you redneck trailer park, uh, trailer park living food stamp receiving, toothless, et cetera, et cetera. There's nothing two people can basically do about it. Um, and, of course, the people are booing, and, that, and that's fine. There's no problem with that. Um, and then we go into the locker room, and when we get to the locker room, we start having this commotion and everything, uh, and we didn't know what was going on. At first, we just figured the promoter was just very long-winded because he is. Um, and I was just like, man, he really needs to shut up. Like, he's kind of throwing my heat. Like, Jesus Christ. Um and then the referee comes in, and he's like, oh, man, I'm really sorry about what, about what my dad said. And I'm just like, huh? And he was like, you don't know? And I'm like, no. And then people start coming in. They're like, oh, man, we're so sorry. And and the promoter comes in. He's like, yo, guys, don't worry about it. That guy's never coming back. And I'm just like, well, what happened? And, they, and that's when they told me he was like, uh, you know, why is it okay for that black guy to call us a redneck, but we can't call that nigger a nigger? And that's when they kicked him out. And I was like, yeah, you know, at the, at the show, I'm like, yeah, yeah cool. The Hello? Yeah, you're on. Yeah, yeah, no, please keep going. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And and at the show, the promoter was like, yeah, we're, we're kicking that guy out. He's never coming back. Um, I thought it was very weird, though, because the gentleman in question uh, was the referee, uh, the referee of the main event's uh, father which was really weird. I was like, you know, this is your dad. He's like, I'm really sorry. I, you know, I yeah. told my dad about something like that. Uh, and I'm like, you know, it's not your fault that he's a grown man. There's nothing you could have done about it. You're cool. Your dad's an asshole. Uh, so we leave the building. You know, I get paid. We leave the building. We're at the Waffle House. Uh, I'm eating dinner uh, with some friends, and uh, another wrestler was there. Uh, and he gets a phone call from the promoter. And the promoter was like, I guess he had told, they were talking, and then he hangs up the phone. And he was like, hey, Will, uh, you want to tell me about this picture? And uh, and he stole, and it's the picture that I posted online. And I'm like, oh, well, remember we did a dog spot and stuff, and they were talking junk, and then he told me, he called me a boy, and was like, give your knees. Well, uh, yeah, boy, that's right, give your knees, that's what you deserve. And he was like, yeah, well, the promoter said he can't bring you back because they're complaining that they're bad, but you can give them the finger. And I'm like, you know what? I, I, I was like, are you serious? I'm like, you know, this guy just called me, a, you know, he just called me the N-word and called me a boy, and he got banned. But because I gave him the finger for what he said now, he doesn't want to bring me back. And he was like, yeah, he, he just doesn't want to bring you back. <laughs> and um, there was a lot more conversation and and. Uh, they was like, yeah, they're probably going to, you know, that, that guy, that's the referee's dad, like they're probably going to start posting about this, and the fans are going to know why you're not the next show. And I was like, 
I need to get ahead of this story before this picture yeah. is released and they start smearing my name. Let me go ahead and tell my side of the story. And so that's what I did. And, and I'm telling you guys, I did not think – I was just telling my side of the story. I didn't think it was going to turn into this big, huge thing that it's become. Uh, I just didn't want my name smeared because, you know, Larry, I talk to you as much as possible whenever I see a show. Steven, you gave me my first big break in Georgia. You were the first promoter to actually book me in Georgia. You guys know, like, when it comes down to, like, really trying to burn bridges and be inflammatory, like, that's just not me. I, I I think you're definitely outspoken. Here's here's my take, and please, Brad or you know, William, uh, or Larry, please feel free to contradict me. Here's the part that bothers me about that story so much. There's this notion that uh, I call it like the Jackie Robinson effect. Like Jackie Robinson, rightfully seen as a hero, right? Mm-hmm. But more than that. I think he's like a he's a hero that most white people can be completely comfortable with because he fucking took it, right? Like he took it. He see that's how you're supposed to do it. You're not supposed to kneel like Kaepernick. You're not supposed to get mad. You're not supposed to be overtly angry. You're not supposed to show your middle finger in retaliation for somebody calling you boy. Like that's the part that bothers me so much is because everything gets equated that isn't equal. You know what I mean? So this guy, like have I, have there ever been fans at PCW that have gotten out of pocket? Yes. What was my response as a promoter? I would literally walk up to them and go, shut the fuck up. (laughs) <laughs> point blank period it, when it was fat Corey put his hands on one of the wrestlers in the parking lot at the very next show i caught him before the show grabbed him by the throat and put him against the wall and this is like and again i never would have brokered any kind of i mean the wrestlers did all kinds of crazy shit spit on sands <laughs> through clothes at kids like on all that and I, and i would take the heat for that but at the end of the day, like, that's what bothered me so much about the story was this notion that, oh, the middle finger that you showed equated. And I'm not saying, like, oh, yes, that was, you know, the perfect appropriate response or whatever. But the outsized reaction to you not being booked anymore because you showed a finger, it's the implication to me is the strongest part, which is, what you're supposed to do is you're just supposed to take people's shit, no matter what yeah. it is. And, 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 and that's, that's the part where, like, I, I just can't abide. I just, uh, that, I just can't get behind that mentality at all. And, 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 so. that's the biggest problem that I've, and, and that's the biggest problem I've seen so far, Stephen, is the fact that there are some people who are very supportive. Uh, and then there are these people, and, and, and the bad thing is, and I don't want to be disrespectful, but there's a lot of older wrestlers, people who've been in the business for a lot longer than me, and they bring up these old situations. They're like, well, you know, Bobo Brazil and Ernie Ladd and Junkyard Dog and Ron Simmons and Butch Reed, they got called these words, and, you know, they just used it to fuel heat. And I'm just like, and you just need to grow thicker skin. And I'm like, at what point is it okay? At what point do we say, no, we're not putting up with that? It's like, hey, we're not putting up with, homophobic speech anymore and we're not putting up with sexist remarks anymore 
But if you but you can still be racist and that's okay. I'm just supposed to suck that up now. And it's like, no, we really shouldn't. And I don't want anybody thinking that I'm some social uh, civil rights hero or something because I'm not. I'm just a I'm just a wrestler who's a father and I you know and I give advice to younger wrestlers and that's something that I tell them. I look, you as a wrestler, you as a person has to decide when enough is enough and when you're going to speak up and when it gets to a point where there's a possibility that somebody can smear your name that you've worked very hard for, especially in this business. And we all know when it comes to professional wrestling, a lot of times your name and your reputation is all people have, is all you have. And when somebody's yeah. threatening that reputation and that name, that's when you have to speak out. Yeah, man. I, I'm going to throw this out to everybody. I want everybody to respond to this. So last night, Larry and I were talking about the topics we were going to cover on the show today. And I kind of came up with a theory on the spot and I want to run it past you guys. And this is, this is way out there. I'm just warning you. It's ridiculous and insane, which tells me that it's probably true right now in Georgia wrestling in particular, but I suspect everywhere there's two things happening. One, the shows that are actually actively promoting are doing great. And there's the haves and the have nots. Like there's no middle ground anymore. You can't get away with just sort of running a show and having it be okay. You have to push it, right? You have to be Southern fried. You have to be Southern honor, right? To really make it now. Here's the other theory I came up with last night. And I wanted you guys to think about it and either agree or disagree or just go, I have no idea. I have another theory that the promotions that genuinely like their fans are doing well. And the promotions that secretly hate their fans are not doing well. And, and I'm, I know I'm putting this out there. I'll just say it. I hate wrestling fans. Just as a general group, I hate them. And not that I hate all of them, blah, 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 blah. But there's sort of a disdain that I have for wrestling fans. And like the, that crowd that you're in front of, Huck, like, to me, that should be a social mores thing. The crowd should control that guy. Like, there should have been an atmosphere that said, this is unacceptable. From the fans. I'm not even talking from the promoter. Of course the promoter. Of course the other boys. I'm talking about the, the crowd. There should have been an atmosphere. Could you imagine somebody yelling something like that at a PCW show? Never would have happened, right? It never would have happened. And if they did, God help them. Right. Like, <laughs> like, so because there would have been this atmosphere of that's just not okay to do and it's not going to be supported and you're not going to feel comfortable saying things like that in the atmosphere that we're providing. I think in Southern honor, there's a genuine affection for their fan base and they're excited to be there and they're excited to have them there. I would say in other promotions, they can give lip service to we love the fans, but there's a part of them that hates the fans <laughs> that they're beholden to. Um, I'm just throwing that out there. And, and the sort of the idea of crowds controlling themselves just with the sort of culture that they set. Um, you know, I saw a lot of, well, it's Alabama. What do you expect? Which I found kind of sad and tragic. Well, while maybe that's true to an extent, God, is that the excuse? Do we just give up and just go like, well, they're a shitty backwater, so fuck them? Like, I, I think that that's pretty demeaning as well. Like, I, I, I find that really sad, and not really because of the wrestlers, just the general attitude of 
it's okay. In that, do Huck, do you feel like in that crowd that what he was saying and what he was doing was tolerated by the crowd? Were they scared of him? Was it just, oh, like, this guy won't shut up, but we're just going to sort of tolerate it because we're polite people? Like, what do you, what's your take? I mean, I know you can't know what's in people's hearts and minds necessarily, but what's your general feeling about it? I, I think I feel like with that crowd, it was more of the, we don't like it. Uh, it was half of the crowd was like, you know, hey, this, that, that's how we feel. And then the other half of the crowd was the silent uh, minority where it's like they object to it, but they're not going to be vocal about it. They're going to say something to the promoter afterwards. And, there, and from what I was told, there were a couple of people, uh, mainly parents who had kids there because there were children in the audience. There were parents there who were like, we don't, we don't tolerate, we don't like this. Like, I don't want my kids to hear this. Um, I, I don't agree with the Alabama thing either. Uh, I mean, I've dealt with being called racial slurs, you know, in Cornelia, in northern Georgia, uh, in yeah. southern Georgia. So it, it's not an Alabama thing. Uh, as far as your question, and uh, and I, I'm, I'm pretty sure Brad will know just as much as I do about this. Um, when it comes to companies and the companies that are doing well and they love their fans and stuff, I think it's more about the wrestlers because fans, like I tell a lot of young guys, if you are having fun doing this, the crowd picks up on that. And, mm. the, now, the, and now the crowd wants to come because they know that you're having fun, so they want to have fun with you. So the companies that are doing very well is because the wrestlers are enjoying themselves. They're enjoying being a mm. part of the wrestling business. Um, and, and it's a part, and, and, and it's the atmosphere. Uh, Brad, I know you know this. When you are in a company and there's a great locker room, you can't wait to be there. And a lot of times you'll say, hey, I'll take a pay cut just to be in this locker room because I'm having so much fun. And it becomes less of a business and more about the actual love of professional wrestling uh, like when we first got into it. What do you think, Brad? Yeah, Brad. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for sure. I mean, uh, I've even I even said this uh, recently on a Facebook post and to their face. Two of uh, two guys that I love hanging out with uh, are Matt Hankins and Jeter. And I only get to see them when I'm on wrestling shows with them because, you know, two different states, uh, lots of distance between. And uh, and it's very true. Like, there, if I know Hankins and Jeter are on a card, I cannot wait to get there. Um, and, uh, I mean, as well as other people. Like, um, you know, there's there's a lot of other wrestlers that it's like that. And, and we go out and we have fun. We have fun in the locker room, which makes us more laid back when we're in the ring. And, uh, you know, and everybody's supportive of each other, too. Uh, and I've been on shows that are the opposite. Nobody talks to each other, and everybody mm. that's in the ring, all the wrestlers just shit on them in the locker room. And you yeah. can go out and have, have the match of your life, and when you get to the locker room, whether it's out of spite or jealousy or just whatever, they're, you know, they shit on it. And, um and I mean, and there's, and there's so much to go with that too. And then even what happened with, uh, with Will, um, and talking about people on Facebook taking the story in their own way, and guys that are like, like, oh, well, you just gotta have thicker skin. A lot of the guys I've seen post posting that uh, are older white guys. 
I was going to yeah, Larry and I talked a lot about that last night, man. Yes, please keep going. Yes. Yeah, they're, they're older white guys who, you know, if, I mean, because of the really uh, strange happenings that we had at Peach State during my, my title run there where some members of the crowd thought I was, uh, thought I was African-American in some shape or way. Um, I mean, I got, you know, there was a racial slur yelled at me one night, but I, you know, to me, it doesn't hit home because I'm not African-American, but had they said that to Hankins or Jeter, I'd have been pissed. I would, you know, I'd have been the first one right next to them. I mean, I was already irritated that the slurs were happening, but, you know, there's, there's a factor of it not being right and it hitting home. And when you see your friends, you know, getting shit on like that because of their race, it, you know, and it being so demeaning, or where if someone's gay, or if someone's atheist, or if someone's Christian, or if someone's Jewish, or Muslim, or whatever, if it hits home to them, it's fucked up. And uh, and this, and these guys, you know, these some of these older guys think just because they don't think it's a big deal and it's just heat doesn't mean it's not fucked up. Um, you know, I mean, I would like to see, which a lot of these guys also don't travel. So they're used to being in little like hometown country crowds and stuff where I would love to see what would happen if they went to an area where all of a sudden they're the minority. And, you know, and then maybe they get, uh, that same kind of inappropriateness yelled at them, and then see how they take it, and see how, you know, how they feel, and if they uh, would need to develop thicker skin. Yeah. Speaking as a, speaking as an older white guy, um, <laughs> was start, was wa- started was wa- started Most, uh, watching wrestling during the Bobo Brazil era. You know, one of the yeah. one of the posters was talking about well. Uh, the, the, quote, the great Bobo Brazil being called the N-word, it didn't affect the promoter or Bobo's decisions. Well, that was then, and this is now. It, one has nothing to do with the other. And Bobo and those guys, they were they, had, they did what they had to do for their livelihood. They were making a living yeah. that way. The other thing is, back then, the wrestlers would have taken matters into their own hands with fans who got out of line. They found ways to do it. And... Uh, right. That that's what would have happened with a guy like this back then, I think. And, and again, that's that Jackie Robinson factor I was talking about, right? Bobo was the right kind of black guy. Like, that's the part that I don't like. He was the right kind of black guy because he just took their shit, and if promoters underpaid him, well, he just took that too, and that's why he's just so wonderfully noble, because he just ate shit and dealt with it now that's the way Bobo dealt with it and he deserves respect for that but but did did I mean did Bobo Brazil truly Larry and I were talking about this because I I, Brad Cash put up a post saying you know this is sort of like a great time where every locker room has black wrestlers in it in Georgia and that has not always been the case right where it's like PCW was one of the first I think that was like because that's who I trained I was in Atlanta right training young black yeah. guys awesome that's what that's our roster right but Brad cash put that up and i remember noting it and thinking about it but yet are there any stars 
and this is on the national level or otherwise, who have a quote-unquote black following in the way that, say, Junkyard Dog did in Mid-South, where it's like, that's our guy. We take pride in that guy. I don't know if that exists anymore. I don't know what that says about wrestling, if that's a good thing or a bad thing um, or what. I don't even know if I'm asking a question. I just, I just find it really interesting and noteworthy because, like, Bobo Brazil had a black fan base. Junkyard Dog certainly did. Like, the people that were not allowed to sit on floor level because of segregation love Junkyard Dog. You know what I mean? And they would have killed, like, they, you know, they were going to kill Ted DiBiase for turning on him, right? Like, who that trying to beat that dog? Who that, right? Like, does that exist anymore? Is there, or is it a sign of maybe things have come along a little farther than we think, and there doesn't need to be that? I don't know. What do you guys think? Um, um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take this one if that's all right. Uh, yeah, I. Uh, so I actually like I wrote a paper about this back in college, which it was it was a little unrelated, but the same thing. Um, you know, I feel like the reason there was such a big black following for them at the time is, you know, they were coming out of you know your Martin Luther King era, your Malcolm X era, and all that, where you know there had been so many things happen for black rights. Uh, so you you have these you have black stars then, which was which was unheard of, and um, and now you know I think I think the key thing now is you know there's a lot of like there's a, been a big emergence of like other um, you know quote unquote minorities that are getting stars. I mean I know uh, like Effie and uh, Jamie Senegal are getting like huge followings of you know of, of gay fans um because that's a big you know that's a big deal now now you're getting uh gay stars that aren't having to hide that they're gay or or like Mustafa Ali that's you know uh he has a big muslim following uh just because of his ethnicity and now he's you know made it mainstream and stuff and without having to play the role of like oh you know I'm from the middle east I'm a terrorist so I think it's still there. I just think right now these other groups that have been held down are now getting their their big stars as well. I, I, see, I have to I have to yeah, disagree. I, I I think that the problem is, and it's, and and this is something that's universally known throughout wrestling, is that whatever happens in Stanford, Connecticut, trickles down throughout professional wrestling, and I feel that for the most part. Um, all the other groups that, that Brad was talking about, whether it's the Middle Eastern groups or the gays, females, uh, Hispanics, Asians, they're all pushed in WWE as they could potentially be the top stars. Um, they're the top guy. And therefore, in the Indies, uh, it trickles down. Um, nowhere in WWE, with the exception of The Rock, has somebody, uh, has a black guy, really been pushed as being the top guy. Uh, yeah. Something that I was told was that, especially in the South, is that fans won't come out if your top guy is black. Like, rest, like rest, Southern wrestling fans don't want a a black heavy, a black main champion, which is why the first time I came to CW and I saw Shane Marks and Jay Fury, I was shocked 
because I'm like, holy shit, their top their top guy here is black. Like, do they like? It was it was mind blowing to me. Um, as far as Boba Brazil and all these other guys and stuff, and the whole dichotomy of wrestling, especially in the South, I think that we're phasing from the good old boy, uh, the good old boy system, to now what I guess what I would call the Millennium system, where uh, you have these kids who are so anti-racism that they go out of their way to not be racist, while you still have good old boy, the good old boy faction who are still kind of running some of these wrestling companies and stuff, and they're like, this is how it's been in the South, this is how it'll always be in the South. Yeah, we'll have black guys in the show, but we're not going to push them all the way to the top. And now you start seeing uh, with these successful companies that you like to speak of, Stephen, such as Sunfire and Subcona, when it's when the, when you don't base your top guy on because of race and because of their ability and their agility, you have these fans who are in between, you know, 24 and 40, who are like, hey, I just want to see great wrestlers. You get what I'm saying? And you're starting to see the grandmas and the granddads and stuff shine away. You don't really see a lot of them at these shows. Uh, because they want to see their good old-fashioned traditional wrestling. Yeah, I, you know, I'm reminded, and Larry, you can back me up on this. I think one of the angles in Georgia wrestling in sort of recent history, let's say in the last 20, 25 years, that doesn't get enough credit is sort of like Jeff G. Bailey and the era of the black Superman where Jeff G. Bailey got heel heat basically by going, look at these magnificent black athletes. And like he got heel heat basically by saying the truth. Cause if you, if you look at those guys that were in that stable, like they all went on to like WWE and stuff. Right. So he was just like, aren't they magnificent? Aren't they great? And he could get heel heat just by going, Look at these black guys. They're better than your than they're they're better wrestlers than your guys. And that was that's enough to get heel heat, you know? That's, Amazing. That's actually probably my favorite promo in all of pro wrestling. And every time I like I meet a young guy who wants to be a manager, I'm like, hey, watch this Jeff G promo. Like that's how you get heat. Like you don't have to talk shit to the fans. You don't have to belittle the fans. Like just tell them the truth. Because uh, and something that Brian Logan, I don't know if you guys know who Brian Logan is, former AWA World Heavyweight Champion, uh, legitimate world champion. He beat, like, Larry Zabisco for the AWA World title. Something that he has told mm-hmm. me is that when you put the truth out there, um, as, you know, as a, as a white person, if you put the truth out there and says, hey, look at this black guy, he really is the best person on the roster, one of two things are going to happen. Either you're going to get the Jeff G response where they boo you out the building. Or B, they're going to cheer for you and turn that guy to the top babyface because now they feel guilty. Um, and now they're going to cheer for him because they don't want to appear racist, which is probably worse than just being outlandishly racist, which is what the guy was on Sunday. I'd much rather your racism be out in the open than you cheer for me because you don't want to appear racist. You know, it's, when I was doing PCW in Atlanta, and I know we got to wrap this up soon. Like I had a number of set goals. One of them was uh, we're in Atlanta. So that, that sort of fueled, but it, but it really lent itself to my instincts, which is the first time I saw Simon Sermon being a heel at the, uh, those shows at the perks, which drew, you know, they were, there was a time where those shows drew in excess of a thousand people. Right. So I, I, I went, 
and I saw Simon Sermon, and of course they were they were gay heels, right? That was the shtick. And I remember the people that I was with, who were like young ladies who had lived in Atlanta, loved Simon Sermon, of course. And then they just, and then I just went, what? you know what? I'm going to book him as a face. And I remember pitching that to him and him going, it'll never go. It'll never take. And I'm like, in Atlanta, Georgia, it will. <laughs> right? <laughs> in Atlanta, it will. And more than that, it wasn't, is that what it's going to take? It's going to take enough people who just sort of put themselves out there and instead of just going, well, that will never work. This will never work. Instead, you go, fuck you, it'll work. Like Shane Marks, I mean, he's not only black, but he was, he's, he's a Yankee, right? (laughs) But, but it took sort of like a steadfast vision of like, screw that. We're, we're, we're pushing him, you know? Um, I I think, I think things can change in wrestling, uh, but like, I I think Huck is right. I think a lot of it has to start like Kofi Kingston is somebody who, wrestlers get excited about hardcore wrestling fans get excited about the notion. I mean, who was not excited when it looked like Kofi could be the man, right? Right. But yet there was this sort of feeling, no matter how good they were at false finishes and stuff, there's always this notion in the back of our head. And then the WWE has put there that they will not let him run with the ball. I think if we're being honest with ourselves, I I am of the mind of I will not believe it till I see it. I don't care how over he is. I don't care how over he is with the boys. I mean, Austin, Xavier Woods, has said for years to me, we know that Kofi's got it. And our part of their goal in the New Day in secret, and I hope he doesn't get mad for me putting this out there, is they want more for Kofi. And they have for years. But until the WWE go, and people just go like, I don't know if people will accept him as a champion. You know what? You don't know. So what you need to do is what Larry and I were talking about at the beginning of the show. You give him a run and you give him a legitimate championship run of quality and see what you can do. See if you can shift the paradigm with your audience a little bit. And uh, until those kind of brave things happen, you know, we're going to have these same arguments until you have an audience that'll turn around and tell that guy saying boy and nigger until people turn around and go, get this guy the fuck out of here. <laughs> you know, like I'm not coming to the show anymore. If this guy's here, like get him out. Like people have to take it upon themselves, especially wrestling fans. I put the onus on them. They need to take the responsibility of going, I'm not cool being associated because wrestling fans are a group in and of themselves. We think of them as sort of this homogenous entity. And I wouldn't want to be like, haven't you guys ever watched something that happened in pro wrestling in the WWE and been embarrassed for wrestling? Like where you just go like, God, I could, I could never show my like freaking civilian friends this shit. Right. Cause they would be like, what the fuck is happening in pro wrestling? Right. Don't you do that? Oh my God. Why are they doing that? It's like, Oh Jesus. I, until people take that onto themselves with going, I'm not cool being associated with this guy. And uh, you know, and I'm going to, I'm going to make a direct thing either with, with my money or telling the promoter, you know what? You gotta, you gotta handle that because see, let I, me I tell you, that- yeah. See, see, I think that 
uh, you're close to the mark, but I think that yeah. you're still off because I feel like just like wrestling is a reflection of society. We all know that. I feel that just with just like in society, until we go ahead and admit, yes, there is racism still in wrestling. Wrestling may still be the last racist, the last true racist sport because it's not based. You're not a champion based on legitimate talent. You're you're the champion because somebody wants you to be the champion, and they and they write the story that way. Until we go ahead and admit that yes, there's still racism in wrestling, that there are still racists who are in charge of these wrestling companies. And I'm not going to say that the promoter Saturday was racist, uh, but I will say that what was said on the phone and what he's saying on social media now is completely opposite. What he said on the phone was, we're not going to use him again. What he started saying when people started putting the pressure on him was, oh, no, we didn't say we're not going to book him. He's just suspended for 60 days. Let's go ahead and admit that's bullshit. On the Indies, you can't suspend <laughs> anybody. You just don't fucking book them. Um, but until we admit that there is still racism in professional wrestling, we will always have this issue. We will always have this problem. And it doesn't matter if the fans start saying, hey, we don't want to be involved with this company. It doesn't matter if the boys say we're not working for this company. Until we go ahead and put it out in the open that, yes, there are still racists. There are still homophobic people. There are still sexist people involved with professional wrestling. It won't get any better. I've seen Brad Cash. I've seen Brad Cash get so much heat because he was teaming up with Seven and Nina Monet in East Tennessee. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Who who are two great fucking wrestlers? Who are two great workers? Both of them. Um, but I've seen him get so much heat, and I don't even know if he got the heat, not just from fans, but from the boys in the back. And that kind of held him back because he was associated with black wrestlers. And the 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 boys in the back, some of the boys in the back were offended that Brad was actually promoting these black wrestlers and that he was teaming up with these black wrestlers and he was trying to push him as a tag team partner with these black wrestlers. Until we start admitting that there's a problem in professional wrestling as far as race goes, we're not going to get any better. And I mean, I mean, God, I wish we could talk about it all night. I think, you know, Larry and I will definitely put our heads together. We need to have, uh, obviously this is a huge topic. Um, I, I can't thank you guys enough for coming on. And uh, I, I, I'm excited to talk about this kind of thing. Cause again, how many times can you hear people talk about, you know, such and such promotion or, you know, so-and-so is running a show in my town and they're tearing down our posters. Who gives a fuck? Like, <laughs> like at the end of the day, like wrestling is a reflection of life. And I, I'm more interested in that aspect at this time in my uh, career, whatever you want to call it. And uh, Larry, do you have any final thoughts about all this? I know it's a lot and obviously we couldn't talk everything out, but yeah. I was just thinking about what William was saying about racism in in wrestling and no doubt it exists. And then I was thinking about, you know, small potatoes promoters like this guy in Alabama and uh, the 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 cutting edge indie promotions. I mean, it's night and day. You're talking about apples yes. and oranges. I think the the cutting edge promotions are are blind to to race, blind to sexuality. I mean, none of that stuff factors into what they're doing. 
and yeah, you go into rural areas and, and small 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 potatoes uh, promoters, and you, you still you're still dealing with that kind of stuff. I have I have no doubt. Hey, well, um, but one thing before we go that was pointed out yeah. to me that I did not know is that Brad Cash's final booked match is with William Huckabee. What? No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna I'm 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 world. I'm gonna do the professional wrestling world a favor and put Brad Cash out of his misery. <laughs> I mean, I'm already leaving, so I'm just taking Will with me. <laughs> oh, oh, I just hugged myself. I love hearing that. <laughs> so, when when is this match? When is this gonna happen? Uh, uh, it's going to be in June, and it will be at Capel. Their only thing is, is uh, they can only book the building they use so many days in advance. So, in about the next, probably by the end of this month, they will have the actual date. But it is set for Capel's June event. So, I wanted to, uh, I wanted to go out in my hometown. It will be my first official death match. <laughs> wow. Well, that's huge. Uh, guys, I can't thank you enough. I, you know, I have a feeling that this is one of those shows that's going to spark a lot of discussion and start a lot of little fires here and there that, you know, people are going to be answering. And that's a good thing, ultimately. Um Thank you, Brad Cash, for being on, and uh, and of course, Hawk. Is there anything you guys want to promote besides that amazing? La- God, I might fucking come down and watch that. I think I might. <laughs> so, uh, anything you guys want to promote in the near future, please, before we get going. Uh, go ahead, Brad. Age before beauty. <laughs> Wait, did you say age before beauty? Because I'm pretty sure I'm younger than you. Well, I'm, I still look better. So go ahead. Black don't crack, bro. Black don't crack. I got a few ventures uh, coming up. Uh, I do have a uh, death match in Morristown, uh, Tennessee, at ICWA in May against a uh, retired but unretired tank. Um, I have... Uh, I have a my final death match tournament uh next uh next month on four twenty of all dates. Um at a Unholy Warfare in North Carolina. And uh I mean I'm still I'm still hitting up a few other places. Uh I have Kapow, of course. Their next event is uh March thirtieth in Knoxville, Tennessee. Um but uh, you know, but I got lots of I got lots of friends that are that have big events coming up. So uh, if you watch Wow, you'll see Nina Monet. If you uh, if you keep up with GCW, uh, they're doing big things with G Raver and Jeff Cannonball, and then uh, and then of course Anarchy. Anarchy has Hardcore Hell coming up soon, uh, and there are a ton of good matches that are going to be on that card. So now I will uh, hand it over to the ugly one, Will Huckabee. Damn. <laughs> um, I guess I'm going to promote my own personal podcast, the Wrestling Nerdcast on the Ingram Podcast Network of me and my uh, uh, 
Combat Entertainment uh, commentator Mika Villas were the host of that show. Uh, I got a couple of shows coming up uh, this Friday. I know you guys. I know y'all have the heat and stuff, but I'll say it anyway. Uh, Fort Valley, Georgia, I'll be at AWN uh, with the aforementioned Matt Hankins and Shane Marks. Uh, nice. Sunday, I have Combat, I have combat Entertainment. Um, coming up this month, Mucha Lucha Atlanta, uh, WVCW in West Virginia. Um, I'm very excited. In May, I'll be wrestling for the first time for the Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame in Wichita, Texas. Oh, uh, wow. Yes, I'll be going to Vegas uh, for the Cauliflower Alley Club and stuff. So uh, thank you to everybody who's reached out to me in personal messages and, and shown their support. Uh, thank you for everybody who's reached out uh, that wants to hear my story and stuff. I appreciate it. I love you all. And thank you guys for having me on the show. I respect both of you. Uh, not so much Brad Cash, though. <laughs> nice. Well, in two weeks, Tipping Point's going to be back. We're going to do our first State of Wrestling episode where anybody who wants to petition Larry for a spot, you get two minutes to talk about what you think the state of wrestling is, either with your own career, your promotion, wrestling in general, wrestling in the state of Georgia. Can't wait to see who takes up the gauntlet of challenge for our state of wrestling speeches. Oh my God. I can't wait for that. But thank you to William Huckabee and Brad Cash. And thank you from me and Larry Goodman. And we'll see you in two weeks on the tipping point. Thank you. We thank you for listening to this broadcast, a production brought to you by the GWH Radio Network. Stay tuned to GeorgiaWrestlingHistory.com for the latest information on upcoming events and more. As always, we thank you for your continued support.